Are there any potential trades in the NFL draft coming up that could make sense? We're going to talk about that. Plus, with the combine a little over a week away, the Raz King himself, Kent Lee Platt's going to join us to break it all down. Coming up next on the Draft Countdown Podcast. Tonight's edition of the Draft Countdown Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Bosars, joined as always by my co-host, Shane P. Hallam. Shane, 63 days, 22 hours, 58 minutes, 40 seconds away from the 2024 NFL Draft. We are fastly approaching the Combine, so I'm excited to have uh, Kent Lee Platt on the show tonight, uh, as we do every year, so I'm excited to talk that, and there's definitely been some draft buzzes uh, growing, it's continuing to grow out there. Yep. So uh, those uh, joining us tonight for the first time, uh, if you're li- listening or watching live on YouTube, uh, pop a question in the chat. We'll answer it at the end of the show. Or if you're following along on Twitter, send a question to at Draft Countdown. We'll answer it from there. Or if you're a member of our Discord, you can ask a question there always, and we'll answer it on the show. And if you're not a member of our Discord, please go to DraftCountdown.com. In the top right corner of the search bar, there's a link to join the Discord there uh shane you're a little under weather tonight so i figured i'd give advance warning to the to the folk watching and listening uh shit my man got the sniffles ah yeah look it, it's it's when you have a six-month-old in the house that i teach uh 100 plus high school kids a day it's just a constant illness train going so uh <laughs> hopefully hopefully i i mute myself enough with the, with the uh stifling here i will be all right uh Saw an interesting note uh, earlier this week. Uh, the Saints got some good news, right? Instead of $87 million over the cap, they're now only going to be like $80 million over the cap as the uh, salary cap was projected to be $243 million. Now they're expecting it to be uh, just over $250 million. So good news, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, I think it's always good when the cap goes up, get more money to players, good for the teams, I think, to be able to, to uh, expand and – you know, restructure some deals and still get under, right? I think that's when we have some fun. When teams really are way over and have to cut and almost forced to rebuild, you know, it sucks for those fan bases. So, but I'm always down for the salary cap going up. Yeah, that's not fun at all. I mean, helps the Bengals, right? Because they're going to have a franchise yeah. tag they're going to have to pay out here. So that'll help that out a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. All these quarterbacks getting paid. You want as much as you can get. Right. All right, Shane, uh, before Kent comes on, I wanted to – I wrote a 
had a little fun uh, with the piece I wrote yesterday about some uh, potential trades in the first round that made sense to me. I want to kind of get your take on a couple of them. One that I saw before Chad Reuter uh, from NFL.com put out his mock draft and projected this very trade, I had been toying with my head. I was like, because I kept thinking back to last year's draft where the Texans drafted C.J. Stroud at number two, but traded back up from nine to three uh, to draft Will Anderson. And I, and I got to thinking, I mean, New England, they're going to want a lot of you know picks, right? They need a quarterback and stuff like that. What's stopping the Bears after drafting Caleb Williams at one from coming back up from nine to three to New England? New England maybe acquires Justin Fields in the move to come up and they do maybe some pick swaps later on or something like that. Maybe an, an extra day three pick or day two pick, something like that. Is that something that you could a see happening or B does it make sense to do something like that? Um, you know, I, I think, I think it's interesting. I think if you're the Patriots and you're in a position to take, you know, a quarterback, if you have, all the top three graded, maybe top four graded as top 10 picks. Like, uh, it, you know, it's it seems like, do you really want to be trading for Justin Fields, paying him a ton of money to move back to nine and, you know, maybe not get in an elite player? I, like you said, it would take some pick swaps later. I think that's too costly for Justin Fields, to be honest with you, with what he's put on film and on the table so far. I think we're looking more to second round pick. If I'm the Patriots, I'd rather trade the second round pick for him and keep three and take Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Like that would be the better move, I think, than making this type of swap um, unless they're getting something else in return. Well, I mean, they would keep nine. I mean, they would get nine back in the trade. Right. But I mean, we saw what nine to three last year cost right. a future first round yeah. selection. You know, that's Justin Fields is not worth that. So the, the Patriots would need something else in addition if i was them here's the second round pick and a third round pick next year for fields let me keep three and draft martin harrison right i, I think that would be better a better approach um but I, you know i i still think we're looking at teams further down the draft order for fields than than the patriots you know you're, you're going to want to handpick your guy and not be saddled with a, a bigger contract for that player um, right. I mean, rookie deals are a window. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of the window now um, outside of like Brady and Mahomes. I mean, that, that's the window and Brady took a lot less money. So I think it'd be hard pressed if I have a QB graded high enough to take it three to uh, to make that move. But I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, it seems like Fields is going somewhere. So. So. Let's just hypothetically say that deal does get made and uh, Chicago takes Marvin Harrison Jr. at three. Um, Arizona stands to gain greatly again this year, right, in a move back because now that third quarterback is sitting there for the Giants, the Falcons, the Vikings, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Saints. I mean, uh, a number of teams poised to move up to four then, right? Yeah, I, that would be ideal for the Cardinals because then all right, Harrison's not there. Maybe you feel like Malik Neighbors is worth four, but even so, the the like you said, the package you could get for someone to move up for 
potentially bottom tier of quarterback. You know, even if you think JJ McCarthy's in that top tier, it's still attractive because none of those teams you named, Brian, are going to get a quarterback <laughs> where they're picking. You no. know, that wouldn't happen anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, that I think Arizona, that's the dream is that the quarterbacks don't go one, two, three. I mentioned a couple other spots like later on. I, I, I'm firmly convinced at this point, by the way, Chicago and Washington are staying put. I don't think they're moving off of one or two. I think we're going to see those two yeah. stay. I, I, don't, I don't know how. I mean, we could talk Chicago all day, but I, Washington feels locked in. I mean, with what happened with Sam Howell at the end of the season, you've got to take quarterback there. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned Denver. They don't have a lot of ammo. I think they only have six total picks. They don't have a second-round pick. Um, their draft capital situation is rough uh, for them to move up. The Saints also don't have a – they don't have a third-round pick. They do. They have a second-round pick. It's Denver's. So, <laughs> I mean, they don't have their own second-round pick. But, like, we've, we've, we speak on this show a lot. Mickey Loomis is a crazy man. So, who knows? Who knows what he'll do? Uh, I'm not unconvinced. Les Snead doesn't get bored and starts trading somewhere, <laughs> either up or down. I don't know. The man f them picks, man. He don't care. Yeah, well, it's it's time to go back to the picks, and I think he knows that. That's the saving grace here. Is you had your window, you won your Super Bowl, and now we got to get younger. And then they've they've done it. So I. You know, but I'll, always a possibility for them to move around uh, is for sure. Uh, it, yeah, I even including your guys, the Steelers, because they moved up last year. I mean, they they, they they will they will move up when the when the mood strikes. I guess. Um, what would what would be what would entice them? Uh, do you think to move up from twenty this year? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think, I, I think it would be offensive line again, right? It would be if they fall in love with Jackson Powers Johnson and feel like he's going to go, you know, at 17 or 12 and want to move up. Uh, or if there's an offensive tackle again, that they really like, they, they just cut their starter on the other side of Broderick Jones. So, you know, um, who, who Jones replaced on the right side. And so they have no one on the left side, really. Um, I think it'd be offensive line again to be what would entice the Steelers. I unfortunately I don't think they're in the Justin Field sweepstakes. Uh, I wish they were, but as a fan, but I don't think they are. <laughs> yeah, no, I get I get that. Um, I wonder if they would try like if the Bengals are in the offensive tackle market, which they probably are. Um, I wonder if they would try to uh snipe them there at like Jacksonville's pick or maybe Seattle's Seattle, pick at 16. Indianapolis. I think it's a good those three uh Indianapolis Seattle have a ton of needs like moving back could make sense. So yeah. All right. Well the man of the hour has arrived in the back there. So let's go ahead and bring him on. He is a contributor at at Pro Football Network, but more importantly He's the creator of Raz. He is the legend himself, Kent Lee Platt. Kent, man, we appreciate you coming on. Oh, absolutely, man. Love you guys. We're happy to be back. 
All right, Kent. So first things first. Rumor has it that we almost lost this mustache, man. Yeah. Tell, tell me how this <laughs> happened. So I'm, I'm getting over COVID. And unfortunately, this time it came with just floodworks out of my nose. Like to the to the point where this was just an absolute mess, and you I don't know if you can really tell, but like this is still nice and and beautiful and long, but this is very short right here. I had to trim all this down, um, and if it had kept going, if I didn't start to recover quick, this would have been gone. I had I would have had to get rid of it just out of necessity, uh, but thankfully it, it it cleared up and and we were able to get back to it, and it still looks a little weird, but uh, it'll it'll grow back. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure we could have had you on the show tonight if you'd have been Sands mustache. I mean, the week before the combine, can the timing get any worse for that? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, Absolutely. yeah, literally, when your face is going to be plastered everywhere, you know, we have it on the <laughs> thumbnail for the video of the podcast to be like, you don't have the mustache. People are like, who's this guy? Like, who what yeah. this guy do? You know, but. Well, I, barely, I would barely recognize myself. <laughs> well, we're, glad, we're glad it's here. Um, so Ken, why don't you give us a, a quick breakdown? Might have some new listeners, people that are coming in the draft game. Maybe they've seen Raz, maybe they haven't seen what Raz is. If you can give us kind of a breakdown of what that is and what you have kind of created and done with it over the years. Yeah, uh Raz stands for relative athletic scores. Uh the the R does all the heavy lifting there. The the idea behind this is that it takes players testing. Uh, and it compares it to a player's uh, position group from 1987 all the way to the player's draft year. And it gives it a zero to 10 score. So you don't have to look at it and try to figure out whether a, a four or five, five is any good for that position. Uh, you can easily figure out that, you know, a seven out of 10 is, is pretty good. Maybe not super great, but pretty good. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. It gives you that nice little context. Um, I produce everything on these cards uh, and everything comes out color coded and stoplight color coding, red, yellow and green. Everybody understands that. So uh, it's just a nice way to, to try to add some context to player testing data and, and provide a little bit of information that, that people really want this time of year. They want to have a good idea of where their guys are and how well their guys test, especially when the guys test really well, which a lot of these first round guys are going to. So what I, I'm kind of was wondering here, like, one, I mean, we can get to the second question, Hurst, but like, how, why do you think this has become the most referenced basic metric from here until the draft? And follow up on that is how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, I think, I think it picked up steam a lot because of how simple it is and how easy to understand it is. You know, I can explain the entire metric in, in a single tweet. Um, I, most people understand it, it with maybe one follow-up question. And we've gotten to the point that, you know, people just kind of get it. They understand it. Everybody kind of gets what zero to 10 is. They get the color system. Um, they kind of understand the overall concept behind it. And because it's so simple and so accessible, uh, it's just very easy to pick up and, and kind of run with. Uh, everything is up on my website at ras.football. You can go look up any player that you want to. All of this data is free. There's no subscription. There's no, no logins that you have to do. Everything is just up on the site. Um, you want to go compare your favorite players? We have a compare page. You can go compare guys side by side and look at how they measure up. Uh, because of that and because we continue to improve the tooling and try to find different ways to make it um, not just more accessible but more useful for fans of the draft, 
Um, it's just it's just picked up. Um, we used to have Spark back in the day, but if you didn't know how Spark worked, it didn't really mean anything to you. If I told you a guy had like 111.5 Spark, that doesn't really mean anything to most people because they're not going to understand the context of like, is that is that good? Is that is that a bad score? Is that a great score? I don't know. I don't know if that's any good. What is it based on? How much does any of that stuff measure or play into it? Uh, because RAS is simple and, and everything is measured the same and everything is weighed the same, uh, it's very easy to pick up and kind of kind of run with it. Uh, and I think that's that's played a big role in it. I've enjoyed it. I've had a lot of fun doing RAS over the last decade. I started this back in 2013, so we, we we're screaming past a decade. Um, I just expanded the database. I when I built it um, back in 2017, which is when I, I put the site online. It didn't actually go live until 2019, but um, when I built it, I, I put in 25,000 players, assuming that maybe eventually I would get there. Um, we went blasting by that number, and, and we're not looking back. We're going to keep looking ahead and, and making sure that we're providing some tools and some fun information for people around the draft time. Yeah, look, people are crazy for them. You got ESPN guys tweeting out, can't wait for the RAS cards to come out. You got... Uh, it, like you said, I think it, it is super easy to understand. It's great. I, I love the comparison tool when I do my player comps tour closer to the draft. I do prospect to prospect because you know that's what I know. But I always before I, I submit, I'm like, let me go check the two RAS cards. Do they line up? You know, and a lot of a lot of times they do. Sometimes they don't. And I go back to the drawing board. Like I, I love to have that uh, have that data to kind of back me up. Um, so we talked about why why kind of people like it. Um, should, should we care? Like that does RAS correlate to, what does it correlate to that we should care about RAS that it's good? Does it correlate to draft capital? Does it correlate to NFL success? Like, you know, what's kind of the background data that, Hey, RAS is something I should pay attention to because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I never built it out with that intention. The, the idea was just to make something that was accessible and easy to understand, but very quickly, I found that the players that get drafted early tend to have the highest scores. The players that find success in the NFL tend to have the higher scores. Um, I talked about um, hit rates a, a short while ago about tight ends. I, I talk about tight ends a lot just because it's such an easy position to point to. Um, but the, the best tight ends in the NFL over the past several decades have been the very best of athletes. The same thing's true for offensive tackles, pass rushers, corners. Um, it doesn't mean that you ignore the guys that test poorly. And I think part of why there's some appeal to this is that we're, we're never looking at it like this is the be all end all, right? If a guy tests poorly, you don't just write them off. You just look at it as maybe it's a concern. It's something that we might have to look further into. Um, sometimes there's context around it and we can look at that and be able to put a number on it and say he tested poorly in this area but he was dealing with a hamstring issue or something. You know, we're, we're able to kind of look at that and provide additional context and we can put a number on it. Um, it's one thing to, to look at a player who runs a, a little bit better on, at their 40 yard dash and at their, their pro day and be like, oh yeah, he improved at his pro day versus his combine. It's another thing to look at a player who improves every single drill significantly and not just say, oh, yeah, he, he did better at his pro day at all of these things, but being able to say, oh, he was a, a 30th percentile athlete at the combine. He was dealing with an injury. He was ill. We've had, we've had issues where people have illnesses. Um, and then they go to their pro day and they just blow it up. And you go from a 30 percent or 30th percentile athlete all the way up to an 80th or 90th percentile athlete. 
you can put that number on it and be like, look, we, we had some concerns. He showed that those concerns were not that big of a deal. Now we can take this and, and look at that whole picture and be confident in our evaluation going forward. Um, and, and being able to do that kind of stuff and be able to put numbers on it and, and quantify it in such a way provides a value to the draft community. Um, and casual fans also are able to pick that up and, and understand that very quickly. So um, I've, I've always been trying to just make a helpful, useful tool, and it seems like that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to keep doing that. It's 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 great, and it's it's definitely become such a huge part of of one of the tools that we use here at Draft Countdown for sure. Um, we know the Colts are are the, the obvious biggest believers in, in Raz, right? We, 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 we've almost become a fun gag for us during the draft now. And I think the lowest over the last two years they've drafted is what, Shane, 8.5, I believe. Yeah, Josh Downs was the lowest. Yeah. 8.5. Um, who are some other teams that just seem to, okay, we're going to look at the Raz cards and that's where we're going? Yeah, the Green Bay Packers have always been a big one. They've they've done that for for several years now, where they they've picked up elite elite testers all the time, and it's the same thing with the, as the Colts, where it's just been a running gag. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles are are um, well known for having a very athletic offensive line, and they've in fact they've had the most athletic offensive line for about a decade. Um, and every time that they pick a new a new offensive lineman, it's gonna be one of those guys. It's gonna be one of these super elite testers. Um, we've seen, uh, Ryan Pace of the bears is, is, seems to be a big believer in athletic testing. And he's, he started to pick up guys like that all over the place. Um, we seen it with Brad Holmes when he first came to the Detroit lions, he started picking lots of, lots of upper tier athletes. He doesn't generally pick guys that are lower tier athletes. Um, and when he does, he provides, he, he explains that reasoning. Like it, it's part of their process to look at the testing and be able to say, we know this guy isn't an elite tester, but here's why we still believe in this player. Here's why we still believe in our evaluation of them. Um, and, and it's fun to see when that stuff gets picked up. You know, every, every year I talk about NFL teams have their own dedicated analytics departments. They're not using my tool specifically. If they are, that would be sweet. But I haven't heard anybody say that, that uh, specifically. But some of these teams, whatever they're using is so close to it. That, that it's basically an analog for what those teams are using. And the Colts are an obvious example of that. What, whatever they're using for their analytics, for their players, it's so similar to what Raz is that it's it may as well be the same thing. Um, and it's really fun when you see those trends and you see the fan bases pick up on it because they start to look at those players. They start to find those guys. They start to key in on who they're probably looking at. And then when their teams pick them because they are doing that type of process, uh, they get really excited, and fans excited around draft time is one of the best things. So we love it. So maybe this is a dumb question. Like, maybe it's a no-doubt answer, but I feel like I have to ask. I think it's important for people. Other people have the question there. Like, are, are players getting more athletic? Uh, you know, I think that it'd be like, no doubt, yeah. But, you know, you have you have the data. You, you have the database back in 1987. Like, is it clearly, hey, players are a lot more athletic today than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, or um, maybe, maybe we overinflate that. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. So records are made to be broken, right? Every record that ever gets made is going to be broken by somebody eventually. Um, and NFL testing is, is that way. We, we're always going to see the best scores get beaten. 
Um, when we have a guy last year in Anthony Richardson come out and, and beat Cam Newton's score, which he had held since he got drafted, that's really wild to see because it was held for so long. If somebody eventually beats Calvin Johnson's score, which I doubt will ever happen, um, Calvin's lowest test was 97th percentile. Um, you know, if, if somebody beats that, that's going to be a wild day. Um, but th that doesn't necessarily mean that overall players are getting more athletic. There is a bigger focus on the NFL combine and NFL testing in general. Um, and it's gotten more and more steam as years have progressed. And I think that will continue because players are wise to it. Um, I like to point to guys like Mike Mamula, who's a famous workout warrior that, that might've even been when the, where the term came from. Um, but you have guys like that that come out and test ridiculously well. They train specifically for the drills that they're going to be doing at the NFL Combine and their pro day, and then they blow them out of the water, and it raises their draft spot, stock, and they get picked. Other players notice that. Other players notice that that helped that guy get drafted higher, and then they do the same thing. Only those guys are better football players. They're, they're actually worth those draft spots, and they're able to, to justify the pick in more ways than just, I tested really well. Um, they're able to do that whole picture and put more onto it. I think we're going to see that trend continue. I don't think it's necessarily that players are getting more athletic. Um, as far as like scoring, um, RAS, the average RAS score increased until the year 2010, um, and it's decreased every year since then. It's actually gotten lower. Like the average score each year has been below five. Um, I don't think the reason for that is that players are suddenly less athletic. The reason for that is that we have more data now. We're collecting more data. Um, you're only going to get, you know, the top 300-ish players out of a draft class are going to be those really ridiculous testers. And the other 1,700 to 2,500 players are going to test, you know, from there down to the very bottom. There's a lot of players in a draft class that never get talked about, that never get any airtime, that aren't in those mock simulators that we do. They're just guys that, are, that really want it and probably – know in their heart they're probably never going to play an, a, a game of football uh, but they try anyway and we collect that data anyway it's it's valuable to look at guys like that and see that that you know there's a there's a threshold that you got to hit um but overall i don't think guys are getting more athletic we have guys you go back and look at guys like charles woodson champ bailey and you see guys that had, that tested just ridiculously off the charts many years ago um, and, and you realize that there have been incredible athletes since we started the sport and there's going to continue to be those guys. It's just, they're much more notable now when we have social media. So we see more of it. I mean, yeah, there's a, what a, probably a nine figure industry now just on combine training. And those guys all should sit, all should tithe Mike Mamula every year because I mean, he's basically <laughs> the guy that got this started. Um, I had a question sent to me from a good friend of the show, Brian Lamb, over at NFL Draft Lounge. He was he was he was curious. Uh, it seems easy to find like an outside wide receiver with a high RAS and it's going to be athletic. Is there any correlation between a productive slot receiver and RAS? I think you see that about as much as you see um, guys on the outside that, that test well. Um, generally, uh, when you're looking at the different, the different uh, subtypes of positions, uh, you're looking at, at the things that they win at and whether or not those, those skills translate. 
Uh, with wide receiver, speed is always going to be something that you're concerned with. And even even guys that test really well with agility drills, if they run a 4-8, they're still not going to be a productive NFL receiver. Even if they have a really good cone time, even if they have good explosion drills, they're just they're just not. Um, we we haven't seen it. Um, you know, when when we have guys like that, they still generally test well for wide receivers because you have the 40 yard dash, which is actually three tests: the 40 and then the two splits, the 20 and 10. Um, and then you have the vert and the broad, your two explosion drills. And it's usually an and or for slot guys. They usually have explosive explosion drills or agility drills. It's usually not both. Um, outside guys are where you see that overall profile more. Um, but that's that's half the drills right there. That's five. And then size is two more. Wide receivers generally skip bench, so we can pretend that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but you end up looking at most of the drills. So guys that, that tend to find success tend to be guys that test well across the board. Um, some sub-positions you don't see that with. We talk about nose tackle every year. Nose tackles don't need to be fast. So there's three drills gone. Uh, their agility drills don't really matter. So there's another two. We're at half of the drills that don't really matter for a nose tackle. So you get nose tackles who have scores in the twos and the threes who are still very athletic for a nose tackle, but nose tackles don't even run 10 yards most plays. Most plays, they're in this little five-yard box, and they just kind of stay in there. So those tests don't really mean as much. And if they test poorly, we don't care because that isn't a translatable skill it's not something that matters for what they do in a position um, my favorite example to use for for how a guy wins you look at the traits that a guy wins with was when we had dk metcalf score horribly on his agility drills had 20th percentile agility drills oh it's this guy's such terror we can't believe he had these terrible things go watch how he plays and tell me that that matters based on his play style you know dk metcalf was never out there you know, making those little jittery moves at the line and, and running these super uh, intricate routes and things that you see guys like uh, Cooper Cup and Wes Welker and Golden Tate and guys like that do. That was never his game. It was never how he won. So the fact that he tested poorly there should never have mattered to anybody unless you were going to try to make him do that. And if you were, you were going to get fired because you're not using a player to the best of their abilities anyway. Um, if you look at a player and he doesn't run a fast 40, but he's he doesn't win by being fast, that, that slower 40 doesn't really matter all that much, unless it's an absurdly slow 40, and then you start looking at, is he even fast enough to hit that baseline level in the NFL? Uh, but if a guy tests poorly in an area that he doesn't utilize that much, it probably doesn't matter all that much. So there is context to Rez. We're not, we're not just looking at that final score and saying, this guy's good, this guy's not good. Um, if a guy tests well in the area that he wins at, that's usually okay. You know, we, I, I mentioned Cooper Cup. That's a perfect example because he didn't test all that well either. But he did test really well in the areas that he utilized the most on the football field. And it shows up every time he's on that football field. So if he wins there, let him keep winning. Look, man, we ain't got time for nuance around here, man. We got to have hot <laughs> takes. Hot takes. So what you're saying is when Tavondre Sweat gets like a 2.5 Raz, we really shouldn't care. No. Yeah, it, it's there's there's times when it does matter. And I mentioned tight end earlier and like why I bring this up every year because it's it's fascinating to me. And I, I love going over this because every other position we have examples of guys that tested poorly who were still successful in the NFL. 
Uh, we don't have that really for tight ends. Uh, there's only been one tight end who had a below average Raz and had at least a 750 yard receiving season since in the 2000s. Um, and that was Jordan Reed, who was injured at the time that he did his his, his uh, pre-draft stuff. He only just barely qualified for the score. Um, and I'm, I'm very confident that had he been fully healthy and tested, he would have had a much higher score. Um, but he's the only guy who got to that 750-yard season since then. We haven't had anybody else. I don't have an example that I can point to. I don't have an Antonio Brown or an Anquan Bolden. Um, receivers are easy because you can see it on the field. You know, I, I have examples for other positions. But um, with tight end, we don't have that. So if a guy tests poorly at tight end, it's a much more significant issue, or should be anyway from a scouting perspective, because you can't point to a player in the NFL and be like, well, this guy still won, and here's how he did it, right? Here's the stuff that he did to overcome that and, and still find success in the NFL. If you can't point to an example like that, it's much harder to make a player's case. And that's going to be, it's going to be a concern in a war room because they're going to do the same thing. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to look at players and use their own comparisons and say, this is, this is our guy. This is how we can use him. But if you don't have an example to point to, it's really hard to make that case. Well, let's fast forward to this upcoming combine. Um, you know, I, I want to, I just want to know some players that you're excited to see. Maybe it's Raz's perspective. Maybe it's, for your Detroit Lions, uh, sorry for the way the season ended for you guys, and for giving <laughs> you some crap on Twitter. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, yeah, I want to know uh, who you're looking forward to seeing uh, out there. Oh, there's there's a lot of really good guys. I don't. I, I usually have guys that I I don't expect to test well that I still want to see test, and I'm still hot for. I don't really have very many of those guys this year. Um, but you know, it's, it's going to be great to watch Marvin Harrison go out there and, and really light everything up. We're expecting him to test really well. Um, one of the guys I'm looking forward to both for my lines and just in general is, is Darius Robinson, uh, out of Missouri. Um, he's, he's been one of the biggest risers in the last month, uh, leading up to the combine. He's kind of hitting that, that sweet spot where if he has a good combine, you're going to start seeing people talking in that first and second round. Um, I'm excited to watch Luke McCaffrey go out there and test because he comes from a super athletic family. So I expect to see that trend continue. Um, you know, a Bosa comes out and tests, they're going to have a great, uh, a great test, you know, um, same thing that I expect to it with him. Um, one guy that I'm excited to watch is, is Spencer Rattler. Um, I'm not a super big fan of his, his play on the football field. Uh, but he he has a really nice opportunity to come into the combine and get kind of throw his name back into that day two consideration and try to get his, his profile up there uh, because he has a reputation as kind of a, a mid guy. You know, he doesn't have the greatest arm, but he's definitely got an NFL arm. He's not super athletic, but he's, he should be athletic enough. Uh, if he comes to the combine and tests really well, he's got an opportunity to get his name back in that day two consideration and push himself up some boards. Um, Colin King is a guy that I want to see because he's had kind of a rough, uh, couple of months leading up to the combine. And if he struggles, it's going to really hurt him. But if he does well, uh, I think that he could bounce back quite a bit and start getting his name back up in, in some consideration for a higher draft pick. Um, another guy would be Xavier Leggett. Uh, he, he, uh, I've heard some rumors that he might not test size wise as he's listed. I think he's listed at 6'3", 225. 
Um, and I've heard that he might not test anywhere near that. Um, uh, he already he, measured at six one at the Senior Bowl. So. Yes, which is which is where that stuff started. Is whether or not because the the Senior Bowl is great, and they do they do the same basically the same test, but you can fudge that stuff a little bit. And sometimes guys just don't they don't they they get a bad test sometimes. Sometimes your finger slips slightly, and they just take that. You know, and it, it's not negligence or anything. It just happens. And if he comes in and tests a little bit bigger. Um, maybe his maybe he he's able to kind of put some of those uh, concerns to rest. And if he tests well, uh, that's going to go a long way to doing that as well. So um, I'm, I'm excited to watch a lot of these receivers. It's it's a uh, it's not a, a great class once you get past the top couple. Um, but I feel like it's strong enough from an athletic standpoint that you're still going to get a couple of guys that are going to have nice, long NFL careers. Um I wish we had more tight ends. We had such a great class last year. We were so spoiled. Um, and, and I knew this was going to happen because you have a great class and then you come in, you got that hangover. Um, and you're seeing it with the discourse with Brock Bowers about um, him being a generational player and saying like, look, we can only call so many people generational, you know? Um, but if he had come out last year, he would have been the top tight end in that class. And that was a ridiculous class. Um, it's going to be really fun to see him come out and, and do that too. So um, very much looking forward to it. And, and as every year, I'm really hopeful that the top players, especially at quarterback, but, but also at, at pass rusher and a lot of the corners uh, guys that just skip the testing because they don't really need it. You know, I would love to see Caleb Williams test. I would love to see Drake may test. I don't expect to see either of them test. It would be great if we did. Um, but Maybe they'll prove me wrong. We're, we're, we're going to switch that trend back around and get guys tested again. That would make me ecstatic. Uh, but I don't, have a, I don't have a logical reason that they should. It's, because I want them to is never going to be a good enough reason, uh, as much as I would love for it to be one. <laughs> there may or may not be a bet on this show about where Spencer Rattler gets drafted. Uh, just <laughs> throw, throwing that out there. Yeah, so, he's uh, he's had such a weird career, man. Because when, weird when he was, is, it's an understatement he, for sure. When he was at the top of his game. He was he was very well up there, and and then it just completely shattered and fell apart. And then he started to build it back up, and then it fell back down again. And um, you know, those ups and downs can can kick you. But Brock Purdy had some of that too. I mean, Brock Brock Purdy was a very inconsistent player in college. He wasn't some you know hidden talent that nobody noticed. We all watched him. We all saw him play. We all knew the kind of guy that he was. Um, he just fixed the right things when he got to the NFL. And sometimes that's all you need to do. All right. Last question. And we'll let you, we'll let you get out of here. Um, Shane asked you for the guys you're looking forward to. And, and normally we'll ask you who, who, who was in contention for that 10 Raz. I'm not going to oh, do that. Gosh. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you. Who is going to have the lowest RAS of the people that test at the combine? Oh yet? man, who is finishing dead last? Yeah, that might be I, harder than that's a <laughs> much question. harder question. That's a much harder question. Um, there was a, a really big uh offensive tackle, um, I think it was the guy from Houston that is probably going to be that. That's going to be because huge tackles generally don't test well. Um, and, and generally they don't really need to all that much because they go to offenses that don't use them because they're super athletic. Um, 
but that's that's probably who I would guess. I apologize for not remembering his name off that. I'm pretty yeah, sure Patrick, was, Patrick Paul. Yes, the, uh, that would be the one. Yeah, that would be the one. Um, he he might be that guy. I think. Um, although when you're that big, size does help you quite a bit when you're when you're scoring. You know, um, not a, not enough. I mean, Orlando Brown's one of the biggest players in the NFL, and his his score was was very very low. I mean, that's one of the all-time worst workouts, though, it, right? It was. I, I still remember that during during the broadcast, they talked about how he was getting admonished for loafing, um, which I, I always I always remember that because you don't use the word loafing very often. <laughs> but he was just kind of sitting around and, and got in trouble for it when he was at the combine. And I, I always find that hilarious in hindsight. All right, Kent. Well, man, we can't thank you enough for coming on. This is, uh, I think, the third year in a row we've had you on yes. this, this time of the year. And and we we love Raz. We love the product that you put out there. And I, I can't wait. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't wait to see all these uh, cards come out during the combine. But then I uh, the flip side of that is, man, I, I feel bad for you because that is all. That's <laughs> a lot of work, man, uh, over that four-day span. Uh, I'm actually going to be at the combine a couple of days this year. I'm meeting up with some people for for some work stuff for for Raz business, um, but I, I'm going to try to be down there and still and somehow still do all of my other stuff because I am a lunatic at heart. Um, so I hope to see some people down there. And if you're if you're going on, I'm, I think I'm doing Thursday and Friday. Um, so if you if you are listening and you happen to be down there, I'm easy to find. Um, <laughs> And I will have the hat too. Um, it's it's around here somewhere. I'm, I'm if you can't tell, I'm doing some work, but um, I will be wearing the hat as well. It'll be the mustache and the bowler, just like normal. Um, so look for me, find me, talk football. That's, I'm always I'm always ready to talk football. Maybe one of the NFL teams will find you. You know, you know, get a hey. scout that's like, hey man, like we use Raz, I love it, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I, I bet there's a that. couple. I bet there's a couple that look. You know, look at it. It can't hurt to have another data point. I mean, you've got the all-star games behind you now. So, I mean, Jim Nagy talks about Raz all the time. Galco at the Shrine talks about it all the time. You got those guys hooked in. The NFL can't be uh, far behind as well. But for the five people that might be listening to this that don't know how to follow you already, uh, tell them how they can find all this stuff uh, next week. Yeah, my website is ras.football. Um, you can go on there and look up any of the players from 1987 today. Again, there's over 25,000 players now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MathBomb. I'm actually going to be posting on threads. I think I'm on there as MathBombRaz right now. Somebody somebody beat me to MathBomb on, on threads. Um, I'm also going to be posting on Facebook, also MathBomb there um, this year. So I, I'm on multiple platforms this year. I'm actually also going to be doing some TikToks. I have no videos posted, so don't expect them to be up right now. Uh, but I'm going to be doing some educational content around NFL testing and around how some of that stuff works and, and all that. Very excited to try to put some of that stuff together. Um, you can find me any of those places and, and feel free to hit me up. Um, I, I know I get kind of internet famous around this time of year, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's all football and everybody loves talking football, me especially. So don't, don't feel intimidated by me. It's, it's weird when I get people saying that, that they are, um, but feel free to ask me about stuff. I love talking about football in the draft. Uh, again, man, we appreciate you coming yeah, on and uh, we'll, 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 Bring you back on this time next year. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Take care.
That was Kent Lee Platt at oh. Math Bomb on the Twitter. He's the best man. And, Always phenomenal. Uh, Always phenomenal. Yeah, he, and, and, he's and great. That that I mean, it's it's revolutionary. I mean, to be honest, uh, how you follow it, how you consume the draft, and right? The, the, the right. Combine. I mean, it's it, yeah. like you know. I, I mean, it's just a perfect system for. Is a is, is a four five five you know fast? I think for most people, they don't know. And boom, you can look at that car. You know exactly what drills the guy did well in, what drills he didn't. Uh, man, I mean, it's just such a good clean system, like you talked about. Uh, I I would be surprised. I would be surprised if there aren't multiple NFL teams that pull pull up those rats. We're gonna see one of those you know videos from the draft room. One day and just see a Raz card on yep. someone's screen. Something for sure, it's going to happen. We're we're definitely going to see it. I can't wait for it. And, and R.I.P. His mentions when it does. That's for sure. Jeez, hope he charged his phone that day because uh, it it'll be blowing up. Um, last thing I wanted to talk tonight, uh, Shane, is nothing to do with the combine or Raz, but. Andy Staples from On3 tweeted something out the other day, caught my attention, and I, I think we need to talk about it for just a few minutes. It, it's a lot of your college football fans think that spending is out of control or whatever on NIL and all that, and maybe they're right. But uh, Shannon Terry, uh, someone else at On3, tweeted that the projected spend for roster management for collectives and schools over the next 12 months for power five only that's 60 the top 65 schools and at the fbs level is around 325 million quote unquote roster value remains around 90 percent of the total nil market and valuation for college football players to which andy staples uh followed up on that saying to put this in perspective each nfl team as in one NFL team spent 224.8 million on salary in 2023. That 325 million total was for 65 schools. Just to put that in comparison between NIL and the NFL. Yeah, I, like we are not to NFL levels and no. honestly, I think a lot of the numbers that get reported for NIL there's no proof <laughs> like none, none of these have here's the contract we can show you here's the you know here's the kid saying it here's the you know so yeah. a lot of them i'm very skeptical of like i don't i don't think this kid's getting three four million dollars like I, I don't think that's true um you know even when those rumors happen um and you know you you put out those numbers and that's despite recruiting being a thing right like right. where you you know in today's college football market you have to have you have to be able to organize nil to to recruit effectively and they're still not even coming close to nfl numbers so um you know you can have your own opinion about it but i think i think it's great because we have seen how many talented college football players not make it in the nfl or get hurt and not get drafted and not have a career and it's like, man, you know, the education's awesome and and has, has been great. But now you have something that you can fall back on. I, with the amount of money that's being made for, for the schools, for the teams, like, that, that's a drop in the bucket. There, there are some schools that could spend $300 million and, and be fine and still be making money. So, 
Yeah, and, and the schools, by the way, are uh, about to agree to another large chunk of change from Disney to uh, for the uh, TV rights for the expanded college football playoffs. So, yeah, and a lot of the money is not coming from the schools, right? It's you know, it has to be coming from from elsewhere, from outside. That's the choice of those people too. So I, I, I do find it silly. Some of these collectives are basically begging for donations from fans. That that much I find a bit silly. But it, hey, man, if you got disposable income and you think your twenty five bucks a month is is going to help you get your running back to state, you you do you, buddy. I've I've blown money on worse stuff than that. I can tell we you that have. we 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 all so, have. And if you're if you're a billionaire and this is this is your hobby, then go ahead and, and tax write off, baby. Tax write off. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't care about the NIL stuff at, really at all. It the the, the portal now. Eh, I, I I worry about that one a little bit, but uh, I think that's something that maybe needs to be controlled a little bit better than what it is right now. Yeah. But Look, I, I, I I say I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's, it makes. Our job is really hard. It makes my job yeah. really hard. Um, but, you know, how many weeks in a row, which and we could have done it again this week, could we right. talk about the college coaching carousel? So yeah, I, if that's I, under control, then, you know. Right. I, I'm with you. I know I agree. And that's the flip side of it is um, – who was it? Was it uh, the Ryan the Ryan Grubb situation? Um, that, that, to me, was completely disingenuous. Uh, by the school because once you change head coaches, the you have a 30 day window opens up for players to enter the portal. They knew two weeks ahead before that 30 day window was up that Ryan Grubb was taking the Seahawks offensive coordinator job, and they didn't say anything. No. And then as soon as the window closed, Ryan Grubb's the new offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Whoops. So, yeah, now th- th- that stuff is completely disingenuous. But I'm with you. Let, let's 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 change some rules on that as well as as much as and then with the transfer rules as well. But I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, I mean, we could talk about college ball stuff all day. It's not the season for it right now. But um, that they're talking about expanding the playoff again to 14 or 16, um, basically auto-bidding the Big Ten and SEC to four teams apiece. <laughs> it's it's a mess. <laughs> like, like, I'm kind of all for that, too. Just give me give me more film on more players. Like I, I, right, right. And like I said, for us, it'd be great. but as a fan of college football, I'm not a fan anymore. Yeah, do, do, do we need that? Uh, I, I know. I mean, I, I literally – I used to get like upset with the ebbs and flows of South Carolina football, you know, which meant I was upset a lot, but I don't anymore because it's, it's utterly meaningless at this point for, for me too. Now the Bengals on the other hand, I still get upset about that, but South Carolina football does not really affect my mood anymore. Well, but you know, good for you. Good for you, Brian. It's good. I'm trying. All right. Um, we didn't have any questions in the chat or on Twitter tonight, but we did have one 
earlier in the Discord. I don't necessarily think you know if it was intended to to come out here, but I, I said that I would answer it on the pod tonight because it's related to a South Carolina player. So I feel like I have a little insight here. So it's like this one's actually I can answer. Uh, Sam asks us, when will Nick Gargiulo uh, be added to the big boards and how high do you think his ceiling is? For me personally, I think he is a fringe draftable player. I, I would say at best seventh round player as a guy who can back up both guard positions. Um, as a center, negatory. That 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 uh, that goose ain't laying. I'm gonna tell you that because he played center this year for South Carolina for like half the games. Some of the worst snaps I've ever seen in my life came from that man. Center ain't it. Guard, I think he's fine. Uh, Jeff Risen, uh, we kind of chatted back and forth about it on Twitter today. He's of the same mindset where he thinks he's a fringe draftable guy, a uh, seventh round uh, priority free agent type. Um, he's an older prospect, so I don't think his ceiling's that high. I think his ceiling is as a backup guard. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think I'm a little bit higher on him than you are, not too, too much. Not, I'm like, oh, he's a day two pick or anything, but. I think the, the leadership, I think the intangible piece maybe gets him drafted around higher. You talked about the flexibility for the guard spots. I think it might test decently well. You know, he's not going to be a nine Raz guy. I mean, he, did get a, he did get a combine invite, so there is right. that. He's got that going for him. Right, and I think his Yale tape is really, really good. And, like, South Carolina, not as much. Um, and so I think you can take that for what it's worth. I mean, that whole offensive line was awful. Right. You I think see. it was tough to be good there. You know? and, and the thing is, and, and and that's something that I think is positively, I believe, working in Spencer Rattler's benefit is the team's got to see, hey, this man was under duress a lot. Look at the throws he made, especially the one throw in the Florida game. I think it's getting a lot of people's attention where basically off his back foot, he threw a 55-yard rope down the field to get. So, yeah. But Nick Gargiulo, at, I think at best, probably seventh round pick, in my opinion. Hope that answered your question there, Sam. Uh, final thoughts uh, tonight, Shane. You got a seven rounder coming up again on Monday. That's correct. Yeah, seven and, rounder. Uh, coming up yep. And you had your combine 40 predictions uh, went up today. Now, I, I should note this. Uh, we know not all of these players are going to run 40s because yeah. some of them are hurt, like Jonathan Brooks from Texas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is just kind of what you feel based off tape and prior knowledge of testing from like Nike camps and stuff like that, right? That that you're kind of projecting 40 times for everybody that's at the combine. Right. Uh, just flat across the board. I like to do this because, uh, you know, when, when a guy runs a 40, we see Twitter blow up. He ran, he ran a 4-4-2 like it was awesome. And then I go and look at my prediction. I'm like, I thought he was going to run the 4-3s, right? So, you know, it tells you you don't want to double count guys that are fast. If I think he's already fast in my prediction and he's fast, then I already, already accounted for that. And that's why I like to do it. If guys are radically faster or slower than what I thought they would be, that's when it changes my ranking. So it helps me really hone in my rankings how they should change based on what I thought the guy would run and how he would be. I think a good example of this was was it was it last year with Kyron Williams 
Yeah, uh, two years where, ago. Yeah, two years ago, where he tested super poorly. So you're like, okay, I got to go back, and you drop him down the rankings a little bit, and he ends up, uh, you know, maybe he was he was all right after all because he's had some some good success, you know, thus far in the NFL, right? Well, it, it tells you to go back to the tape too, like go back and watch him again and say, okay, maybe I don't think this testing's right. It doesn't matter. You know, I think you, that helps me to to who should I go back to? Who was wildly different than I expected there? And Kyle Williams was one of those. I mean, he dropped down all of our rankings. I don't think I think we still had him higher than he got drafted, though. Yeah. So Jake Bobo last year, but that was kind yeah. of a weird deal. Yeah, uh, with the with the monsoon track. I had a little uh, UDFA success of uh, the Seahawks yeah. this year. So. Yeah. All right, so that's going to do it for tonight's edition of the Draft Countdown Podcast. Um, as always, like I said earlier, if you're new to the channel, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell. So you get notified when we go live each and every week. If you're listening to this on an audio platform, be it Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, leave us a five-star review, share it out with everyone. Follow me on Twitter at deep fried draft. Follow Shane on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. Follow draft countdown on Twitter at draft countdown and go to draftcountdown.com for all of your daily draft needs for Shane. I'm Brian. Good night, everybody.